I'm Pastor Steve, and uh, welcome to everyone here as we worship again online here at Friends Church. And wherever you're watching us, whether it's your home uh, here in Northeast Ohio, across the country, around the world, we just want to uh, welcome you to our worship here today. If you've been following us, we've been walking through uh, the book of Ephesians. In fact, we finished that up last week. Uh, Paul's precious letter to the church that he just loved there in Ephesus. And today, before we get on to our series next week on the Beatitudes, which I'm really excited about, I'd like to take just one week and do a little follow-up to our series on Ephesians. Because I don't know if you know this, but there is another letter written to the church at Ephesus. Another letter in the New Testament. It's a very short letter. And we find that letter in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up, open them up and put a marker in there. We'll get to there uh, pretty soon. But in there is a short letter to this same church written by John, Likely the Apostle John at this point in time in his life, he would be aging, a senior citizen, long uh, gray hair, I imagine, exiled on the island of Patmos, about 60 miles off the Asian coast. John there is on Patmos, and he writes in chapter 1, verse 10 of Revelation, that it was the Lord's day, and he was... In the spirit, he was worshiping when all of a sudden there was this loud voice from behind him that sounded like a trumpet. Now, I don't know about you. I know me. If I was on an island alone and I was worshiping in the spirit and all of a sudden I hear a voice from behind me like a loud trumpet, I'm, I'm probably going to jump. And I don't know what John did. I don't know if he jumped or what happened here. But this voice came from behind him, a loud voice like a trumpet. And it said in verse 10, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Well, these messages in these first few chapters of Revelation 2 and 3, these letters to these churches that we first see, are written by John, what Jesus is saying, and it really is an assessment of Jesus on the churches there in Asia. Seven churches he's writing to, and he's, he's given them kind of a performance review, you might say. I know in our firm, our CPA firm, we're required every three years to have a peer review where our peers come in and they, they have a trained people who are looking at us and making sure that we're in compliance with all the standards where our quality of work is where it should be. And, and that is intimidating. It's intimidating because you know you always want to be perfect and you never are. Well, that's a peer review. Can you imagine Jesus? <laughs> Not up here, but the Lord, our Savior, the one who'd been crucified and risen and now has ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, is looking down and telling us and telling these churches what he thinks about what is happening, his assessment of them. And so these are invaluable for us. They're invaluable for us to understand what Jesus is expecting from his church. 
And here we come to chapter 2 of Revelation and we see that Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus. This is the church that gotten off to a great start. Back in Acts chapter 19, we read of the start with Paul in that church. And then chapter 20 as he meets with the elders. And it's the church that Paul poured his life into and poured his heart into. And this church is probably now about 30 years old. It's probably been about 20 years since Paul wrote his letter to this church. And now Jesus writes to the church and tells John to record this and instructs him in Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 with this. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, we need to stop here because you need to remember that uh, Revelation is apocalyptic literature. This is what is to come, and the, the, the imagery in this book is rich. And so as we look here, you may be wondering, what is Jesus or what is John talking about? Well, the angel referred to here, the, the word for angel is messenger, a messenger from God, or a messenger sent by God, a messenger to speak for God. And this could be a heavenly messenger, or it could be an earthly messenger. An earthly messenger would be a pastor. Maybe this is the pastor, but it's someone who the message is being sent to who would in turn tell the message to those who needed to hear at the church. The seven stars are those seven pastors or seven messengers that the messages are being sent to. And then the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. And so you get this picture of Christ, Jesus Christ, uh, carrying in his right hand the seven messengers, the seven stars, walking through the seven lampstands, the churches. And as he does this, we come to verse 2 and 3, and we read what he has to say to this church here in, in Ephesus. He says this, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. Wow. That's quite the list, isn't it? Hardworking, nose to the grindstone, no fooling around. These are the guys that get stuff done, you know? They've persevered also. They've endured widespread persecution. You know, it was during this time between when Paul had been there and, and now that, that Nero, the emperor, had brutally persecuted the Christian church. But they had persevered. They had come through. They were doctrinally sound. They had rooted out the false prophets. They knew and they taught the scriptures. They knew what Paul had taught about Jesus and they'd been teaching that faithfully. They didn't tolerate evil. No. Wicked people, they were confronted. In fact, later in this chapter, it says, you hate the actions, the works of the Nicolaitans. Their idolatry, their immorality. And Jesus says, I hate that too. And then he says, and you're tireless. You've not grown weary. 
most churches would be thrilled to get a review like this. We'd be downright giddy if Jesus would come to us and say, you're hardworking, you're persevering, you're doctrinally sound, you don't tolerate evil, you're tireless, you, you don't get weary. We'd be patting ourselves on the back and saying, what a great job we did. Most pastors probably would be thrilled to pastor this kind of church. Everybody wants a church who's hardworking and doctrinally sound and don't tire. Even from the outside looking in, these church, this church looked good. It was a busy place. Lots of activity. The doors were always open. There were Bible conferences, marriage conferences, summer camps, sports ministries, you know, golfing for God and Holy Rollers Bowling League. There's vacation Bible school. There are men's ministries, women's ministries. You name it, they got it. You know what I'm talking about. And they never even got tired. They were tireless. However, as we look further into this letter, we see that the Lord's assessment also looks at not just the positives, but the negatives. And he starts with the one word that I'm guessing they were probably dreading. It's that word, but. But. I think your NIV version that maybe many of you have says, yet. This is the moment where we hold our breath. What's he going to say? We've heard the good news. So what's the bad news? And so John writes these words of Jesus to the church there at Ephesus. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. What does Jesus mean by this? He's not specific. Love for what? Love for who? I think we can say this for sure, that at one point in the past, these folks had a greater love than they do now. That seems to be clear. You know, Jesus, when he examines us, when he assesses us individually and as a church, he searches our hearts. He examines our hearts. He doesn't just observe our activity. He's not impressed with or fooled by our busyness. Our orthodoxy, making sure we got it all right, making sure we're doctrinally sound, isn't enough. Doing all the right things, working hard, it's not enough. So, What's the problem? What went wrong at Ephesus? It's a great church. It's a church that Paul dearly loved. But something happened in the last 30 years where Jesus would now say, you no longer have the love that you had at first. In fact, you've abandoned it. And what does he mean by that? 
I think the first question I have and many have asked, is Jesus here talking about they've abandoned their love for Jesus or for God? Or have they abandoned their love for each other? Theologians would go either direction with that. Some say, well, it's got to be their love for God. And others would say, no, by the context and everything that's written in Ephesus, it's got to be their love for each other. So if you ask me, did they abandon their love for God or did they abandon their love for each other? My answer would be yes. Yes. I think, I believe they abandoned their love for God and they abandoned their love for each other. I don't think you can separate the two. And I think that's why Jesus didn't try to. I think what Jesus is saying here is we have an example, a tank of love. We have a tank of love and it's that love that God pours out to us that we then return to him, our love for him. And when that tank is full and overflowing, it overflows and it blesses and loves our neighbors and loves each other and loves the community of the church. And if all of a sudden that is not overflowing and this love isn't going out to the community, then you look and say, the, the water, the love in that tank is going down. God's lo- the love for God must be decreasing. Or you look at your love for God and you see it decreasing. Then you look out and see your love for your neighbor decreasing also. They're tied together. And they always have been. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he couldn't separate them. He said, well, yeah, the first is to love your God, Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and on your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, if you're a lawbreaker in one law, you're, you're a lawbreaker. So if you, you can't love God and not love your neighbor, and you can't not love your neighbor and love God, they go together. God calls us to love one another. I was reminded of this in the devotion I shared on Monday. The parable of the Good Samaritan, it was the, the same expert in the law who asked the question about the greatest commandment, said, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus made a strong point in that parable that your neighbor is very likely someone who does not look like you, who maybe does not speak the same language as you, who has different maybe even beliefs than you do or opinions than you do, may not have the same color of skin that you have, but that's your neighbor. We are to love one another. We are to love our neighbors. We are to love God. We cannot have one without the other. You can't read anything that John's written. You know, we just went through the book of John recently and you just, you just sense God's love throughout that whole book. And John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And especially as we go into the book of 1 John, love just oozes almost every verse of that book. He says things in chapter 4 of 1 John like this in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, 
we ought also to love one another. Verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 20, for whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. 21, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You can't have one without the other. You know, I, I don't put a lot of stock in dreams, usually. I, I know God speaks through dreams, but usually not mine. <laughs> mine are the garden variety dreams that uh, I don't think have a whole lot of meaning to them. But I got to admit, I was taken aback just this morning. I was been preparing this message, been meditating over this scripture about loving, loving your brother, loving uh, each other, and loving God. I had this dream this morning where I was in need. I had need of information and help on a project. I don't remember what the information was. I don't remember what the project was. But I needed help. And so I went to a brother's house to get some help and ask for some help and get some information. What was interesting about this dream, though, is that this brother was someone I really haven't thought about recently. And quite frankly, is somebody who I would say I have a difficult time loving. Now, it's not somebody from this church, so it's not you. But it's somebody from my past that just is difficult for me to love. And when I walked into that, that home and, and he graciously, abundantly helped me out, going over and above to help me out to get the information I needed for the project I was working on. And then I woke up and I looked at these scriptures this morning. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister, even when they may be difficult to love. You can only do that if your love tank's full. And if you've abandoned the love you had at first, well, verse 16 of 1 John 4 says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So how's your love tank? Is it full? Or has it sprung a leak? Is it diminished? Or as Jesus told this church in Ephesus, has it been abandoned? Whatever. For the church in Ephesus, their big tank of love for God, for others, was running low, abandoned. How tragic. How tragic. This was this is the one thing that Paul loved about this church. In fact, in the first chapter of Ephesians, he said, I thank God for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and for your love for all the saints. What happened? What happened? What happened in those 20, 30 years where their love tank started to leak? 
Did they get busy? Were they working hard? Were they busy studying their Bible and making sure they didn't have any unsound doctrine and forgot to watch and take care of their love tank? Had it become hard over the last several years to love each other or to love their neighbor? Was it difficult for them to remember the last time they ever shared the gospel with someone who needed to hear it? When they'd get together in all their meetings and all their activities and talked about spiritual growth, was it always in the past tense? Had their love for the world and the things of the world grown so much that it had crowded out their love for the things of God? Were they harboring sin in their lives? Had they lost their passion? Were they focused on the form of what they were doing and not the substance? So many times it's easy to forget why we do the things we do. Something had happened. The love that they had, that full tank that overflowed, was not just diminished, Jesus says, it was abandoned. What happened? Well, you know, Jesus has put his finger on what ails that church in Ephesus. And sometimes in the Bible when we see a problem, then we go searching all through, you know, trying to find, well, what's the answer? What's the solution? What can we do? Well, here it's in the very next verse. Jesus right here has the prescription for what ails this church, and it's this. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. You know, he doesn't get into any specifics. He doesn't have to. He says the first step here, the first step is to remember. Remember. Reflect. You know, Jesus is probably saying, I don't have to tell you. You know. Do some self-reflection. Do a little self-diagnosis. What was it like when you first came to know Christ? What was it like when, as a church, we were all excited and God was doing great things and our love overflowed? What was it like? And what happened? Not just what was it like, but what were you doing? What were you doing to make it that way? Remember. Remember. What was the healthiest, the most productive time in your spiritual life? Remember. When was your love tank full? Remember. What were you doing to stoke your passion, your passion for Jesus Christ, your passion for others? What were you doing? So Jesus' first line in his prescription is to remember then how far you have fallen. And then he says, once you've done that, we must repent. 
What is it that's keeping me from experiencing God's best in my life? What is it that's draining my love tank? I need to repent from that. I need to give it up. I need to have a change of mind about that. I will no longer give myself to it. Or I will do something that I haven't been doing. I need to repent and I need to say, Lord, that's not what I want. I want to follow you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go to God and repent. Sometimes I think, sometimes we think if we go to God and say we're sorry, we messed up, repent, he's going to slap us on the hand. That's not it. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, get this. It says, let us then approach God's grace, throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we repent, we come to God and say, God, I need you. I've tried it on my own. I've gone the wrong way. I've messed up. I've let my tank run dry. I need your love in my life. I need to love you so that I can love others. And it says, come with confidence to ask that so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We remember. We repent. And then the third thing Jesus says in this verse is to return. He says, do the works you did at first. Go back. Commit to a change. Rekindle the fire. Restore the passion. Fill the tank. Once you remember what it was like, go to God and repent of that and then start doing those things that filled your tank, that, that, that brought the love for God and the love for others that was there at first. You know, Jesus, Jesus never said that the things they were doing were wrong or even bad. In fact, he commended them. You know, we're not to be lazy Christians. We're not to disregard doctrine. That's important. And I believe the house of God should be a vibrant place, exciting place to be. But when those activities drain our love tank, when we're doing them and we find ourselves and our love for God growing cold and our love for others draining, then we're falling short. We're falling short. And God says we need to return. The question then, I suppose, is how serious was Jesus about this? Was he really that serious? Well, he said to remember, repent, and return. And really he says, or else. Verse 5 says this, Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. With all the great things this church was doing. He said, if you've, if you've abandoned your love, your love for me, your love for others, if your love tank 
is not going to be refilled. I want to remove you. Your church will be gone. Why? Well, it's no longer a lighthouse. You're giving the wrong impression both to Christians who come and to those outside who are looking upon you. This is not what it's about, activity. It's about our love for each other and our love for God. It's a wrong example for our children, thinking that God is only interested in our activity and our works. And we become content with so much less than God's best for us. He says, I'll remove you. That's how serious Jesus is about this. But he goes on. He says, but those who do remember, repent, and return. Jesus says this. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We have God's presence. We have eternal life beginning now all the way through the eternity. And the church remains strong. The church remains vibrant. The church is the lampstand that shines in the darkness. Today, as we close, I don't know what it is in your life maybe that that's, uh, you've abandoned that, that love at first, the love that you first had. As a church, are we where we were in our most exciting times when God was fresh and real and sharing his love with the world around us? I encourage you to take time this week to remember. Remember, reflect, do some self-evaluation, some self-analysis. And where we find ourselves falling short to repent. And then to return to what God has called us to. That relationship with him where our passion returns, our love returns, and it overflows and blesses the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. We thank you for the challenge, even though at times, Lord, I know feedback can hurt. It also can build us. And Lord, I pray that as we hear this and as we consider, Lord, our first love and our love for you and Lord, the excitement we had when our love overflowed for others. Lord, if that's missing, if there's something that needs to be rejuvenated, if there's something that needs to be filled, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember and to repent, confess, and Lord, to, to return to the works that you've called us to do. Lord, help us as a church. Lord, we want to be that church that our tank is so full of love. Lord, that we are loving each other. And that, Lord, we are loving our world. We are loving our neighbors. We are, Lord, we are demonstrating that love in tangible ways and not just going through the motions of church activity. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, may it challenge us this week as we submit to you And we live our lives, Lord, in ways that bring honor and glory to you for what you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, at the end of this message, there'll be some questions that pop up every five minutes for the next 15 minutes. I'd encourage you to stay there where you are in front of your screen and maybe together with some others, uh, have a little conversation or if you're alone, just meditate on some follow-up to the words you've heard today. It's been good to be with you again. Have a great week, everybody. God bless.